Biggest Bad Boys Podcast presents Matt Michaels People I Don't Hate Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on the Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting and um, for a couple of years now we've been doing our show and one of the reasons I love doing the show is I get a chance to catch up with guys that I've known, cross paths with and guys that I've gotten to know better throughout the years um, and for me in the early 2000s um, I got the wrestling bug um, and I looked around and there, lie and behold, is Rick Bassman and UPW Ultimate Pro Wrestling in Southern California. And out of a whim and a chance and an Al Snow recommendation that I try it um, so I don't regret never getting in the ring and learning what's going on, that's what I did. And I uh, reached out to Rick and, uh, you know, the old come on down, as uh, I think we've all <laughs> been through in uh starting off uh in wrestling you get the yeah yeah come on down and uh man it it was a wild ride then and i have with me rick bassman who is the uh the founder of upw and uh one of the ballard brothers shannon ballard who is a mainstay in tag teams throughout the west coast and east coast and I mean, I think that when I started, the Ballard brothers were about, what, 55 or 60 years old, I think. 57. 57 <laughs> years old. <laughs> and then, of course, Navajo Warrior and Gallo, um, you know, was, these are the guys who would come from Arizona and come on to UPW to uh, wrestle for Rick. And one of my dearest, dearest uh, influences in my life and everything that I tried to do and, and, you know, work hard and and always reminding myself little things that I was taught by Tom Howard, who was one of the most incredible trainers that anyone could ask for. And it means a lot to me that you're all here and uh, thank you very much. And as we get rolling right away, let me start by asking you, Rick, UPW comes about in uh, 1999. Is that correct? I'm really bad at years, Matt, but that sounds about right. Yes. So when you started it, how did you go about getting the talent that you were going to need to start a company? And we know at that point, a lot of the talent was getting trained by Jesse Hernandez in Southern California. So you had a lot of options to you know, choose from. There were so many great talents. How did you go about figuring out what your structure would be to make a company a reality? Well, shoot, I, I'd love to say there was some big master plan at work, but um, the truth is, like pretty much everything with UPW, it, ju- it just happened. Uh, I mean, I'd like to come off with some incredible genius that engineered this whole thing, uh, but that, that would be misstating. Um, I had a gym probably the first true mixed martial arts gym in the state of California, I think. And when we built the gym, I decided to put in a hybrid wrestling and boxing ring with the idea that I wanted to get in the pro wrestling business, but didn't really know how to do that. And I just, you know, email was not a a widely used tool at the time, but nonetheless, 
I just started emailing all the, the big gyms around the gold gyms and the world gyms because the one thing I knew, the, the one plan that I, that I did have in mind is I wanted it to be a company that kind of looked like WWF, not WWE, WWF. And what my favorite period was, was like the monster area with, um, you know, with the road warriors, Legion of Doom and with um, the Barbarian and Warlord and Hercules and Billy Jack and on and on. And I thought that by being in Southern California, we might be able to replicate that. So we started putting the word out. And uh, I remember the, the first the first week we started, I had two phone calls, two guys asking to come on down, like you said. And I said, come on down. And I walk in and there's two guys standing at one of the heavy bags, like trying to hit the heavy bag without without any real skill, which would change later. And that was, uh, you know, six foot uh Six inch, three hundred twenty-five pounds, Sylvester Turkai, and six foot seven inch, three hundred and fifty pounds, Stefan Gamlin, and like right there, I knew the tone was uh, was set for us. It just grew from there, man. You know, when you're talking big guys, um, you know, Tom, you, I mean, you have an amazing presence. You always have had that, you know, that working big type of presence, and at that time, like Rick said, email was really not very common. It was really in a, an infant stage. How back then did you get word? And then the other guys, the same type of thing. How did it follow up that you guys started hearing about this company coming out of the uh, Southern California area? And, you know, did you guys have to do what, you know, a lot of us performers had to do back then? That is, you know, videotape reels and uh, headshots, sending them in across the country. What was your guys' experiences kind of finding UPW? So I had a very interesting uh, approach. I started out in a suit and tie job, a nine to five, uh, and I had an opportunity to go to Mexico and wrestle for AAA, which I did. Um, my company was was gracious enough to keep my job going. So after about a year and a half in Mexico, I came home and still had a job. Um, I was operations manager for the company. And so I had my guys going out to different areas and I had a guy, one of my guys come back, Tony Rojo, which is an interesting element because he later went on to do shoot fighting, uh, the submission. He comes back one day, he says, there's this gym in Mission Viejo that I walked into. And he said, this little guy was just a complete dick to him, which wasn't Sean, which wasn't Rick, by the way, it was Sean McCauley. Right. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. And, and he said, uh, and they say they have pro wrestling. So I said, really? Pro wrestling? I was like, I know everyone in pro wrestling. I mean, pro wrestling is a very small world. Like, if you can't pretend you're in pro wrestling, you'll not be there. Especially then. So, yeah. So sure enough, um, it was one of those strange situations where I ended up going in, meeting Rick. Clearly, right away, we had connections because I knew who he was. Um, I don't know if you necessarily knew who I was, but I had I had gotten rookie of the year as KGB, the the Russian guy in uh, AAA. So it was like a little bit of buzz talking about me, not much, but very little. And uh, and I, I kind of I don't want to say given up on pro wrestling, but I was you know I had a family to support, you know, I had a wife and kids. So I, I came back, put on a student tie, did my gig, and I always wanted to get back in the ring, but I wasn't certain. So Rick. Um, uh, the one thing I decided from being on the road was I didn't want to be on the road by myself. So I had a tag team partner, one of my good buddies from working out named Hank Hill, who was like a 350 pound uh, power lifter. So Rick met him 
and decided that uh, we could be the next big uh, tag team. So he actually basically packaged us. We did some articles in the Orange County Register, and he pitched us to WWE. And the next thing you know, we had a uh, we had a tryout match for WWE. Yeah, and That's- you know, it, um, man, it all it all really came together the day that Tom first came in. I remember this. Um, I, I don't remember like the story, Tom, exactly how we met, but I do remember looking you up on that internet thing, which was also kind of new then. So yeah. I, I did have that awareness. But what I remember talking to you, like, you know, guys, we started this school, right? And the school was falling apart fast. I don't know if you remember a Japanese worker by the name of Reggie Bennett, female worker. And yeah. you know, Reggie taught at the school for like three weeks. I didn't know the difference then between strong style and lucha libre. I didn't know anything. And she was killing everybody in the ring. Reggie was stiff as they come. We had this other giant guy who, and, and Tom, I think, knows this. I've never exaggerate heights and weights. I just don't. We had a guy named Martin from Germany who was like 6'8", 450 pounds. And Reggie broke his femur in the ring, and we had to take the ropes off for the paramedics to get him out of the ring. I mean, I'll never forget <laughs> this. And I'm like, it's just not working. And then, and then Tom came in, came in, and everything just like suddenly seemed to click and and make sense and uh it's a joke from there i mean tom and i together if you read about like the old upw ultimate university which is the name of our school you'll always see mine and tom's name together because it very much was a partnership and that's when the school really started to work yeah yeah we also were very fortunate to have chavo guerrero back then he was a kid he he had never done any wrestling before but he actually started wrestling with us so it was a very fortunate mix of people that all worked really well Tom, think about who came through those little doors. I mean, it, you know, not all wrestlers, but guys like Antonio Inoki, um, Ken Norton used to hang out there. I mean, it, uh, Boss Rutten was there. And uh, Eddie Guerrero, I have a great photo with Eddie and Chavo under our, you know, under our logo together. It's just, it was amazing for this little gym in a strip mall in Mission Viejo, California. It kind of birthed uh, an era. It was pretty cool. And Shadow. How did you uh, how did you start getting into the mix? Uh, well, th- I remember. Oh, we needed up- um we needed a new janitor. And, uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I had I had showed up at, at at the school, and they had they had two spots available, and there were three of us there, and it was myself and Gallo, and then there was a boss <laughs> and the cook, and. Needless to say, I knew I could beat out Gallo. The mop, not so much, but yeah. So myself and the mop got picked up. Gallo, I mean, a few years later, he showed up. And uh, no, I, actually, um, Hardcore Kid brought me in because he wanted to look good for a show, and I could base him for all of his uh, Lucius stuff, even though he was like six foot seven. Right. Um, and uh, I ended up instead. Bastard Rick, Rick put me with uh, Mikey Henderson. And we had a really, really, really good match. And Chavo was actually there. He was watching it. And then uh, Rick came up and asked me after that if I would be interested in doing more shows. I said, yeah. And then I told him I had a twin brother and he just didn't show up tonight. And then that was pretty much history after that. So I guess Hardcore Kid brought us in to try and make himself look good and it backfired on him. <laughs> which one of you came out first and which one was the afterbirth? Uh, oh, that oh. was... Uh, you know, I, I have to say, because we could bury the we could bury the Ballards or particularly Shannon Ballard all day long here. It wouldn't be hard. Um, 
But uh, no, I have to say, I remember the like when the Ballers as a team were on our first show, and I was always a huge fan of like matching tag teams, you know, teams with a the theme rather than put this random guy with that random guy. And uh, dude, I thought honestly, I thought the Ballers were gold from day one. And um, you know that that's a team had it been twenty years later, you know, and you guys weren't the size you were back. And Shannon, you got in the best shape a human being could get in, given the given the frame that you had. But um, they, yeah, twenty years later, you guys would have, uh, no doubt in my mind, been at the top of one of the major companies. Oh, right, absolutely, yeah, right, yeah, absolutely. Um, Nav. Uh, you and Gallo, how did you guys start getting hooked up and coming out uh, to UPW? Uh, well, I, I came in first. So it was uh, around 2000, early 2000. I just came back from a European tour and I was wrestling for Rick Drazen. And that's where I met Swag, uh, Big Swag. And he told me about UPW and said, hey, we you know have something coming up at the Roxy. And so... I, I came out and worked that show and they put me with Aaron Baker, lover boy, Aaron Baker. And, uh, I was able to, I, I enjoyed the match and then actually had a couple of the guys saying that was the best match we've ever seen Aaron have. So, uh, needless to say after that, Rick was like, Hey, you don't, you know, you're more than welcome to come back. And, and I was a mainstay ever since, you know, right from that first show at the Roxy. Uh, and then I was training Gallo at the time and, I brought him along, but first I brought along uh, Mike Knox, introduced Mike at the Galaxy shows, and then Rick liked Mike, and then I brought in Hollywood, and Rick liked Hollywood. I brought Shoe, uh, Big Horseshoe, and so these were all my guys that I had been working with in Arizona, and then uh, kind of helped open the door for them with with Rick and UPW, and then they all became part of the the crew, and then when. After a while of, of wrestling as a babyface, I switched heel, did that for a little bit, and then told Rick, I have a tag team partner. And Rick says, we'll bring him down. Let's take a look. And then that's when Gallo, I brought Gallo in, and we worked as a, as a tag team, and the rest is history. It's, Biggest it's... mistake ever. The Arizona crew was like a huge part of, uh, of what we did. And yeah, Steve, that was that was a very, very good crew, man. And uh, can you believe Thank we you. did shows at the Roxy? That's pretty weird. <laughs> that that's very weird. That was very weird. But but being a big '80s uh, hair metal guy, I thought that was the coolest thing. You know, going in there like, oh wow, you know, and then seeing the, you know, the VD couch in the in the green room and going, oh, uh, don't sit yeah. on that couch or you know that kind of stuff. But I thought that was really, really cool. You know, just because of the the history of that that whole area. You know, yeah, Halloween. Sorry about. Oh, that's okay. I just wondering, Gallo, when you came in, um, you know, being that you were the last of this group here to get in, did you sense a, a camaraderie backstage between the guys? And you know, was it kind of first nature for the guys to kind of give you a little more ribbing because you were the new kid in town? Well, all that and I fucking sucked. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking of that like it's in the past tense. Uh, <laughs> pretty mouth. Hey, about after about 15 years, I learned how to work. Uh, <laughs> no, it it was it was cool. I was a, like for me, I honestly I didn't know anything about independent wrestling at all. I grew up here in Arizona. I knew there was no wrestling out here. 
I was getting ready to go train a, a, in freaking Cleveland or some shit when I met Nav and I started doing his shows out here. So I worked for about, I was only working for about nine months or a year, I think before Nav brought me out there. And, uh, dude, I, I was, I was always mouth shut, uh, ears open because every time I opened my mouth back there, I'd embarrass myself. Cause I was, I didn't know I was green, man. I don't know, but it was cool. Everybody would rib me and then they would, you know, I remember Kazarian especially ribbing the shit out of me all the time, but like, you know, everybody took care of me. You know, when you dollars see- would try to rip me, and then they would have to spend the rest of the time trying to find their tag team titles, which were like <laughs> in a toilet tank or hiding in a ceiling tile or you know something like that. So no matter how bad I messed up or how bad they were ripping me, they always messed with the dollars worse. So that was really good. <laughs> Rick, when you when you look at that type of um, fraternity, you know the the sense of the bond that was being formed by the guys who really were, you know, trying to make this work. And of course, inspired by how you were um, captaining the ship. Um, Do you think that that timing of the attitude era kicking in the hunger for more pro wrestling and the pure talent that was, you know, now ready to be molded into guys who would go on to bigger companies was that just the right time the right place for kind of like you said just for things to kind of fall into place and for it to just kind of grow or, organically yeah no, no doubt about it a lot of it a lot of it was luck a lot of it was were the times for sure i mean i don't want to discount anybody's hard work we had a great crew behind the scenes people like todd Kennelly, who you probably know and uh marty elias and and uh, melinda ackerman and it goes on and on. So we worked our asses off. But, um, you know, a lot of it was timing. A lot of it was luck. Um, it wasn't always easy. That's for sure. You know, I think people think as a wrestling school owner and wrestling promoter that you're getting rich. And, uh, and I could tell you every month my wife and I did not know I were going to pay the rent on our apartment for about the first four years. So you do it because, you know, it's the same reason, guys, like, God bless, you know, Navajo and Gallo and Hollywood will drive you know, from Arizona to California for, I'm almost embarrassed to say, but what were the payoffs back then guys? Like 20 bucks, 50 bucks. Yeah, it was, it was like 50, 50 bucks. Cause you know, okay. Hey, you guys are driving out. So let's, you know, right. have to help put so in the money in the gas tank. So you got to go, why would somebody do that? And I know I've heard Tom and a lot of people use, you know, this term, that's not meant negatively necessary, but this term we call the sickness in the business, which is you just have to be, you have to be in it. Now I wasn't a worker, of course, but I think I felt that same attraction to it. But I think what really kept me in, Matt, was that the camaraderie that you spoke about before. Because we, we knew, especially back then, you know, the back, backstabbing backstage was pretty ripe in the business. And save for a couple of small factions that, you know, snuck up at one time or another in UPW, I'd say 90% plus. But it was a really, really fun place. And everybody, to my, you know, to my knowledge at least, um, liked each other, supported one another. And that, that's what I really think more than anything probably made it work. And Tom, when you think about the school and um, Ultimate University was something that, you know, we, we could take pride in. You know, we could walk around, you know, I'd, I'd walk around in the UPW shirt in downtown Burbank and kids would come up and say, hey, are you a wrestler? 
because all of a sudden UPW was becoming synonymous in Southern California for having this reputation of putting on these incredible shows as someone who was uh, essentially the head, you know, the head trainer, as I look at it, of the, the schooling, was it in your vision seeing the guys who came through, was it something to you that you looked at as, Hey man, I'm helping make these guys dreams come true. And was there anyone who stuck out, stood out to you to someone? Uh, and obviously we know guys like Cena and Samoa Joe, uh, Heidenreich, Kazarian, et cetera, you know, went on to big contracts, but is there someone that you trained that you look at and you go, I thought that that guy would, you know, definitely go on and he just never got the break. Yeah. So thanks to Rick Bassman, I always say he's a goddamn magician. Uh, he somehow was able to always pull off everything magical. Uh, from the day that we started, we started getting these uh, shows, one on Discovery, one on, uh, I mean, I, I, name is Major Networks. We got, yeah, we got the shows on. So it became really quickly known that we were the, the go-to spot. Uh, and then, of course, we did the, um, the training videos, which I can tell you to this day, the training videos were I, I was kind of the host. And as John Cena and Samoa Joe and Frank Azarian, and I can tell you to this day, when I go backstage at WWE, which I do all the time now, I can't tell you probably four or five guys come up to me per day and tell me that they grew up watching those videos. And that's how they learned to wrestle. So it's pretty fucking heavy to think about that. I don't know if I could use the F word, but it's pretty freaking heavy to think about that, that you have this weird impact on a business for such a long period of time. Um, but yeah, when you go back in time and you look at the people, most of the particularly good guys were able to go to Japan because the Japanese business makes sense. Uh, as much as I like to bag on Gallows, I always thought Gallo would be a star. Um, you know, John Cena, I didn't, I didn't necessarily pick. I thought he was a little robotic. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I even told him this not long, not long ago, but I, I, I didn't necessarily pick him until I saw him uh, cut a promo. And the minute I saw him cut a promo, then I was like, oh, okay, this guy's got something really special. Smoke Joe, I never thought. Uh, and <laughs> once again, I just saw him two weeks ago, you know, and I like, I, I, I'm so proud of him because of the man he's become, but I didn't necessarily see that. So, uh, the one thing I could say is that uh, it's not always evident because it's not really about initial talent. If it was, Nathan Jones would be the biggest star in the world, yeah. you know, um, and, and Nathan Jones uh, burned out and uh, went to acting, which is good for him because it's not the business, not for everyone. Uh, but, you know, so we saw these guys come in who had various elements of talent and it wasn't as much about that as it was about a combination of elements, which really came down to the love for the business. Yeah. And if you don't have a deep love for the business, and as Rick Bassman said, the sickness, which I, I use all the time, which I don't, I, I hate to say sickness, we'll say a passion, but you well, know, it's, it's, a not, it's not meant negatively. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. A term. I yeah. Right. No, exactly. But, but I, I use that expression, but you know, it's a, but if you don't have the sickness or the passion, um, to where you will put this business above, above your own um, goodwill and safety and everything else. Because trust me, most of the time, the correct decision is to leave wrestling and to walk away and not do it. But if you have, if you have to do it, you have to do it. And that those people who, who make it work. 
Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, you, you gave me like a four-pronged question. I think I may have hit two of those. What are the other two? Uh, no, you, you covered the basis there. Okay. Um, yeah, no, you covered the basis. Um, and Tom, and, you know, are really good examples of that. Sorry to interrupt, Matt, but while you're on, on the subject, I think two amazing examples, Tom, of what you just discussed are Chris Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. Yes. And the, the reason I bring them up is, I mean, they, they both had decent looks. Um, they didn't have the size that was needed in that era. Uh, but those guys talk about sticking with it year after year after year and never making it. And then one day you're like, wow, they made it. Um, and I think yeah. those guys are really good examples of that. Whoa. They are. They are. I was just um, at a WWE taping um, for NXT and backstage was uh, Spakey, who's one of our guys. Steve Carino, who's not really one of our guys, but he kind of, you know, is one of our guys from uh, from uh, w, not WWE but uh, Zero One. Um, yeah, it was like literally. And Samojo, of course, comes in as the new NXT guy, and I was like, "Wow, half people here are like related to me in some strange way." Very bizarre that there's still this many people that are in this business that are all our old friends. That's and I'm up in I'm up in Orlando with NXT right now. You're talking about Jacksonville, which is an hour away. That roster's got like the other half part group, so it's really strange. Uh, all these years later, yeah, yeah, which is which is remarkable because of the fact that it it shows how ahead of the time that everyone was. If you took if you took that base at that age, put them in today's wrestling culture, it, it, they would be the most dominant people in the business. You the know? smallest guy would be bigger than most of the biggest guys on the indies right now. Exactly. Exactly. Remember Mikey Henderson? He was jacked. Yeah. Mikey, yeah. He, was a, he was he was the same weight as most of the lightweights now, and yeah. he looked like he ate about a half dozen of these guys that wrestle now the same weight as him. Yeah, but you know the number one thing I noticed backstage at WWE now is that everyone is two hundred pounds or less. There's only a couple of two twenty fivers, and they're the big guys. Yeah, the business completely changed. Good. Mikey Henderson would have been a superstar, but he was just too early. He, yeah. he was the one I was going to mention before. I kind of was like, in my opinion, he, if there was one that got away, it would have been Mikey. Yeah, Mikey. Um, that, that was a guy who was really the victim of the time size-wise, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Well, and speaking of size, Shannon, you and Shane, um, you know, you guys, again, the tag team now would have probably been uh, – you guys would have been printing money in AEW right now. You know, it's <laughs> – so, so how do you feel knowing that when you look at what you guys did and what you could have done now if you guys had started, you know, within the last 10 years, um, does that ever kind of hit you as, you know, what could have been or does it just kind of settle into your mind of what was and you're proud of the body of work that you guys have been able to accomplish? Yeah, I would I would have to say I'm I'm more so proud what we accomplished because it's like I if I, I I don't watch a lot of wrestling now because just the direction of it like storytelling has fallen to the wayside so his spelling and a lot of aspects so his characters like a lot of aspects that I grew up like loving yeah. in wrestling um, it's more or less I mean like it's like one big spot i mean we we would come up with some fantastic spots i mean um but i i see a lot of our stuff 
still being used on TV now. And like a lot of it, like we, we kind of formulated, a, we, had, we had a formula for a tag match. And I still see people to this day using that formula. So, I mean, it, it's, it's good and bad. I mean, uh, uh, the good is that something that, that we had uh, kind of created is, is still being, is still relevant today. But the bad is that we don't get any credit for it at all. So, you know, but, you know, what can you do? Sure. Yeah, I, I was going to say, just throw it in there. Um, the, other, the other two parties on this call, uh, Steve and GQ, I don't know if I can still call him that, they were they were two of the best. Like when they came to Japan, they got over in a big way because you couldn't you couldn't have a better looking Indian like tag team if you could even say Indian anymore. But um, like and they wrestled great. It was a it was like you couldn't make a better looking group. So it, once again, I, it was one of those things where man, we had a lot of really made for TV groups, and everyone on this call right now is there. You know, like I said, the, the Ballards are easy. Even though they're like the redheaded stepchild you never wanted, but the, the two, Indians two of them. is awesome. Did anybody else notice that when Shannon was talking, his dentures almost fell out? Here it comes. That's a back shot for you, Gallo. When the next time I see you, back <laughs> shot. You know, Matt, Matt, I forgive me for um for taking over for just a minute. Sure. I almost want to put that same question. Um, that you just put to Shannon, to Steve, because, so first of all, I agree with Tom, Native Blood, the name of the tag team was Gold, and you guys mm -hmm. were perfect for Japan, and Steve is like the consummate worker, good guy, instructor, had the right gimmick. Do you feel like you should have, you know, as far as WWF or WCW, whatever we had back then, that you should have ended up in a different place? Uh, well, of course, I, I was striving to end up in a different place. I wanted to be on the roster, you know, and, and with that, that gimmick, you know, and that I worked on for so many years and was just like trying to dial it in as best as I could. And then with the tag team as well, you know, I was like, all right, we can, we can make this work. Uh, you know, you had the young bloods, you had all these other native tag teams, not a lot of them, but I was like, I always thought we were better, you know, even though they were legit brothers we were we had the chemistry and everything everything worked um but you know i mean everything happens for a reason you know still being involved in in the business in even if in a little way now that I'm, i still am um i'm i'm happy that i am still around it you know and and uh that influence is still there i get messages from guys a lot asking about training asking about uh, just little bits of advice here and there. And I tell them I don't run a school anymore, but I'll be more than happy to watch your stuff, send you back, and, you know, it, I'll, always the teacher, I guess, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I honestly wanted to be, uh, have that spot on the roster doing what, what we do. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, still being involved with it, even though it's on like you know, backstage, you know, working with the talent there. It, it's really cool to, to still be around around the wrestling business. Miguel, same question to you on, on that end. What, what were your aspirations when you got into it? And do you think you could have cracked that, uh, that, you know, magical big company? Uh, I know Shannon's going to say no, but uh, what do you feel? <laughs> um, Already ahead of you. 
I think that if I could have gone, if I could go to UPW with the mindset I, mindset I had 10 years later or 15 years later, I could have achieved anything I wanted. But the problem was that when I was at UPW, I wanted to go, I wanted to go everywhere and I was real hungry, but I was also, I, I, I put the cart before the horse a lot more than I should have. And I didn't listen to guys like Nav and Rick and that as much as I should have back then. And I thought I knew it all. And that probably cost me more than anything. But, you know, in hindsight now, uh, I don't, I don't know. I got to do pretty much everything I ever wanted to do. When I did get a chance to get looked at and get called up, I got flagged for my torn ACL, which I had hurt when I was younger and never got fixed, which is why now I teach my guys whenever they get hurt, nothing's better. Go get fucking fixed now before they get looked at. But uh, um, I'm not disappointed about anything. I got to go all over the world. I got to go to Japan a bunch of times because of UPW. I got to go to, to Korea and everything because of NAV. I got to go to Germany and and amsterdam and holland and all that stuff in my own work and it was it I, I i wrestled some of the best in the world so i can't really be upset about anything but of course like nav says i always wanted to be you know who doesn't want to be or at least i guess nowadays people don't say this but i always wanted you know as Knox always said if you didn't want to wrestle for the wwe title at wrestlemania why are you in this business so yeah of course i always wanted to do more but. hey hey matt i gotta jump back in real quick just to reframe because apart from me the other four guys on this um whatever you call it, Zoom or phone call or podcast, whatever we call it. These guys were all as good as anybody in the business at that time. It's timing, you know, timing and God knows what else. Some things happen, some don't. But here's a beautiful thing. I'm listening. I mean, Gallup, I know Shannon's going to jump in and make a joke on this, and it's probably deserved. Who would have thought Gallup would ever teach pro wrestling, right? <laughs> um, but um, it's like uh, all these years later, the, the influence these four guys had on the business and on so many careers – and still have, by by measure, my measure, that means they absolutely made it in this business. And I think that's important to know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, just sitting and looking at the screen and going, you know, here are some of the best people who have ever trained people or talked to people or, you know, had influences on people's lives and careers. And I think that it's, it's remarkable that everyone kind of, you know, converged on being, um, and, and I think the theme kind of seems to be that once that maturity level was hit, you know, it's, it was time for you guys to give back in some form. And I think that that is very evident because, um, you know, <laughs> We just, you, you just see it all around now, but back then let's get to uh, some of the uh, questions on uh, maybe some of the things that you guys remember. Um, and uh, let's start with you, Nav. You held a UPW title. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And that was kind of a revolutionary title because you were the internet champion when the uh, internet was a, a baby. Yeah. I mean, I was like, Hey, the internet title. And I was like, what's the internet? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it was, it was so new. Um, and that was really cool, uh, to get to, to do that because I, I got to, you know, yeah. I, 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 Broad, broadband. I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that UPW was the first to ever live stream a pro wrestling show. I was just going to say sure. that wasn't your rough cut. The first time that was ever live streamed. I believe so. 
Yeah. So from the it, galaxy it, and all that. The, the idea behind an internet champion was like this is a pretty significant thing in the annals of pro wrestling that we're actually using this internet thing to show an event live. So that that was a pretty momentous time, actually. Yeah. How the yeah, hell media got involved? I have no idea. But, <laughs> other than that, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I. I, I thought it was great, you know, because yeah, the, the internet was so new and, and live streaming was never heard of. And the, to, to be able to defend that title on those, on those shows was really cool. And then, uh, yeah. And then the blue meanie came in and it, it ended, it was done. <laughs> I, I to this day don't understand that. <laughs> That's all right. And <laughs> it, 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 to this day, does meanie still have that belt? Cause that belt lasted for about, what about six months, eight months, whatever it was, and then it, it just disappeared. It's probably the same place the Ballard's tag team titles is at. <laughs> well, speaking of that, I mean, you and Shane, Shannon, you guys, you know, had your runs as as champions. What did it mean to you guys to be recognized? Because at that point, UPW is a very well known entity in Southern California. So having those tag championship runs, you guys were essentially, you know, one of the most popular tag teams in all of, uh, you know, Southern California, let alone the West Coast. Uh, yeah, we actually like our, our uh, uh, popularity took off once it happened. And we, we were, I think, the longest reigning. UP- I think we are still the UPW tag team champions. <laughs> I still have both the belts at my house. The only <laughs> that uh, uh, we had to hit Nova over the head with them. And they were so like uh, hard and like grizzled that it literally cut him open. He had to get like six stitches or eight stitches or something. But yeah, um, it, it was uh, being that, I mean, we still today, like uh, people will say, yeah, I remember seeing you guys. They, they re- a lot of people remember the discovery channel thing because during every commercial break, when it came back, uh, there was uh, a thing that we, we had uh, an idea that I had that now seems like a terrible idea. I mean, it's a hor- it was a horrible idea, but it was a great idea then where we had Hank Hill, Tom's partner, because Tom used to do the blockbuster off the top rope. So I, I came up with this, this idea. I don't know why or where, but I came up with this idea that Hank could probably hold both me and my brother up on his shoulders and Tom could blockbuster both of us. And Hank, freaked out and threw us and we both did like front flips and landed on our neck and uh, it was the most amazing looking thing so every commercial break that was that would be on so we got a lot of uh, popularity out of that hey you guys are the guys that almost broke your neck <laughs> <laughs> years later in japan nathan jones put um, steve carino and another guy on their necks and we did the same move and steve broke his neck so just so you're aware Oh, geez. <laughs> thank, thank, thanks for that idea, Shannon. That's a great idea you had. <laughs> it was your fault. <laughs> the problem is the person on the base couldn't fall down fast enough because I was I would jump and I would do a twisty yeah. flippy thing and then catch the next. Yeah. There's no way uh, you know the energy could go down fast enough. It was literally. I got a question, Tom. I got a question. Does yeah. Steve know that Shannon is the reason why he broke his neck? Because I'm sure he'd love to know that that move was the result of a ballot. Because we all know how much Carino loves a ballot. We'll share that. You know we'll what? That. I'm not a very big fan of Steve Carino, so, and he knows that. So uh. You don't like him? 
No, he's the one that got us out of Japan, man. He was the one that uh, uh, him and uh, and T.W. Anderson had it in for us. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, oh, who knows politics? A lot of silly shit going on. Yeah. You don't I didn't know talk. that either. I just always knew you guys used to talk shit to each other from across the country. <laughs> I would say, you know, mostly though, Tom, you know, yeah. and I, I know you're more on this than I am even. I think we were able to avoid for being in the business as long as we were and as a mesh as we were, for the most part, we got to avoid politics. So it yes. could have been a whole hell of a lot worse, that's for sure. I mean, there was yes. a little thing in Japan with, you know, with Carino's group and our group, but it all ended up friendly and it's fine. And yet I'm Shannon, I'm sorry to hear that also. I didn't know that till now. But, um, you know, thankfully, yeah. by and large, it was just a very positive experience, I would say. You know, Japan yeah. was fun. That was a good run in Japan, man. Yeah, it, you know, like anything else in the world, if uh, you always have to look for the management leadership. And like, quite frankly, Rick, you didn't do anything resembling, um, you know, that type of business. If 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 you don't do it, then no one below you is allowed to do it. And so, anyone who tried to pull any bullshit, um, pretty much got put in their place. Yep. Other companies, for sure, did, and you know, they'll 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 find their ways in. But either way, it never worked out for anyone. You know, that people can always smell. Um, the, the right people doing the right thing. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, I got to say, as a student, from the perspective of the schooling, um, that was one thing that I think that we learned very quickly is that, you know, you were there to do something that you were passionate about doing, but you were not there to just, you know, take and expect that you're just going to get stuff handed to you, create, you know, uh, there, there was nothing about um, kind of creating an atmosphere in which I'm going to get mine, screw everyone else. And it always felt like, hey, man, we're here to do something. And if you're not in the ring working, you're outside the ring working. And it just feels like, you know, nowadays there's a little more of the politics to an exaggerated level than anything else. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, hey, man, you were there because you you just were so passionate about what you wanted to do. And you weren't there to become famous. You were there to wrestle. Yeah. Yeah, no I, I, I would agree. And I, I would address that on a couple different levels for sure. One is, I mean, we, we by what we were able to create there, and a lot of it was happened to be in Los Angeles with the entertainment capital of the world. The guys and girls that came through our doors, they definitely got more opportunities than they would have elsewhere, I would dare say, pretty much anywhere else. And but th at the same time, you're right. We didn't have a lot of attitude in the crew. And, you know, one of my favorite things to ever do, despite my sometimes reputation of being a greedy, money-grubbing, short Jewish promoter, which the worst, the, worst you, the worst combination of things you could be in the wrestling business and a promoter, by the way. Um, despite that, my favorite thing to do was always to be able to go up to somebody and go, hey, you booked this part. Or we got you this dark match, or you know, to, to give you know to give good news. Um, and then the other aspect of that was that you know wrestling schools were pretty big on the other side of the country, and I would think Steve would probably be best suited on this this group to to either agree or tell me I'm I'm mistaken here. Um, and if you do, that's fine. But other schools, there was that old school mentality where hey, these guys got to pay their dues. So let's beat the fuck out of them. 
And, you know, I get the idea of you have to be tough. I understand that. I'm not discounting that. But my philosophy always was, first of all, they're paying money to go to school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, secondly, pro wrestling, you know, throwing your back, essentially throwing your back on a piece of wood over and over and over again, and everything else that comes with it is hard enough. You don't need to beat somebody up on top of it. That, that was all treat them nice, treat them kindly, treat them with respect. But yes, they absolutely have to work for it at the same time. Yeah, no, that that's completely true. Um, when I when I broke in, it was weeks of just wrestling on a mat, shoot wrestling on a mat to see if I'd come back. You know, I'd get beat up and beat up, and then I'd come back and I'd come back. And so when I started training, I was like, that's just it's hard enough to do what we do. You know, why why go through that much more? You know, so yeah, we we were tough. We we ran a lot of good drills. We ran a lot of. Uh, cardio a lot of you know and, and just basic wrestling so we didn't beat anyone up or try to have that uh make them pay their dues in that way it was always like hey if you're showing up and you're working hard you're paying your dues you know so uh that that old school mentality kind of started to go away and i i definitely wanted to steer away from that when i was training guys but you also with as tough as it was it it did weed out the people that weren't meant for it so it was one of those things where we did it in a, in a better way, in my opinion. It was a better way of, of weeding out the, the, the weaker people that weren't really made for pro wrestling by just doing what we do and, and taking those bumps and learning how to do everything that we do um, because it is a tough business. It's, it's very tough on the body, and it's very tough mentally. And if you don't have that in you, you're not going to make it. So, you know. I'm, I'm going to add something to that, if you don't mind, Steve. Yep. Um, I started out in uh, AAA, Lucha Libre, and I was put in a situation before the before the matches where everyone wrestled, and I fortunately had done some samba, so I knew leg locks, and I was able to catch guys in leg locks, but they were trying to figure out who's who and what's what, and the guys would only beat you up to the extent they thought they could, and if they you could shoot on them and take them, then um, they wouldn't fuck with you in the ring or mess with you in the ring. Japan was exactly the same story. So what I did do, in wrestling training, and I got called on this by a couple of people. Uh, actually, I believe Spanky did, but I, I corrected him on it. Was he had come out in a podcast later on when I did all these submission fights and got my ass beat? And he said, Oh, yeah, Tom loves to have his students uh, do submission fights, but he didn't do so well himself, or whatever it was. I, I talked to him about it, but I said, Hey, I was put in these situations myself, and you guys need to know if you're put against someone else, what you're going to be done in Japan and Mexico, at least it was done to me, maybe not everyone, um, where you have to be able to to defend yourself, at least know where you stand in the hierarchy. Believe it or not, that was a real thing in the business. I don't believe it is anymore, but it was a real thing in the business. And so I wanted the guys to know, you know, it doesn't doesn't cost anything to spend 20 minutes as a part of your three-hour wrestling class to have people uh, wrestle each other to submission. At least you know where you stand in the hierarchy. Guys who act tough, find out they're not tough. Guys who aren't, that don't think they're that tough find out they are that tough and it's a real thing because man you get in there uh i had to go with uh, masaru tanaka and once again it was just very fortunate that i happened to know some ankle locks and caught him right away and then they wanted to go put another guy and another guy and another guy and then uh Fujiwara pulled me aside after like the fourth guy because i was getting tired i didn't have any good air and he said he said uh he wanted to know where I learned from. And I told him, you know, I've been studying uh, Sambo. And he said, they'll just keep going until they get you tired. And then they'll, then they'll tap you out and beat you up. 
So I went through this in both Mexico and Japan. I genuinely did. And so I found out that it was one thing that, in my opinion, I didn't want to beat people up the way that Hindu squats are bullshit, right? That's how you end up with knee replacements. But understanding how to do legitimate submissions and legitimate wrestling, in my opinion, is a very important part of wrestling. Right. I got to agree with them all because yeah. we, we train our students the same way. I actually kind of take from everybody up here in our class. I, I actually give credit to Tom and Rick and Nav all at the same time in our school. Um, but I, we teach them all that stuff because I know when I went to Mexico, uh, they I didn't train there, so I didn't get that. I got in the ring, like me and Nike Kirk and everybody, we would be wrestling the guys, and we would start getting over with the crowd. And a lot of times in those – in those uh like tijuana and mexicali some of those locals don't like that shit and they would get they would start beating the shit out of us in the ring and i remember one time Nikert, the one guy tried to break his ribs and uh yeah you had to put them in their place real quick and then after that they were fine but yeah there there's some interesting situations you don't ever know you never know who you're going to get in the ring with especially now you don't even know now if half the guys are trained right so you really yeah. got to be able to protect yourself and defend yourself all at the same time unfortunately yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. There, there used to be a time where, when, uh, you know, you'd go to a different area to wrestle and they would ask you, you know, who broke you in? And you, you know, you, everyone knew everyone, you know, you would tell them who broke you in and then they'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I know him. Mm -hmm. And now it's gotten to the point to where like, yeah, who trained you? And I don't even recognize half the names, you know, I'm like, who's, who's that, you know? And, and it shows when you watch them wrestle, you know, that it's yeah. like, okay, it's, it's not like it used to be to where it, it was that really small world. Like Tom said earlier, you know, it's wrestling's a small world. It's, it's gotten bigger, but it's, you know, not as, not as tight as it used to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will say that there, although I, I have never done this with any students coming up, but there are wrestlers um, that did yeah, other people would, would, Say these, this person needs to learn a lesson, and uh, I'm sure everybody in here has been contracted to do that. Um, and and I, this isn't me being against Gallo or anything like that. That was all done as sure pleasure. But th there are a lot of times where people get really bad attitudes, and they 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 need to. I mean, where you like them enough, the way you put somebody out there who's gonna who's gonna let them have it, and then. When they ask why, you tell them, and then maybe they learn and maybe they don't. But I'm sure everybody in this room, myself included, has been part of, I, I mean, not not had received, but were the giver of, of that. Well, Shannon, here's, here's a good one for you. You guys remember we did UPW light shows, remember, at the gym? Yep. And Matt, you were, I'm sure you were part of those. And you guys recall we were 50 people there, maybe on a good night, and, you know, no no amplified music or anything. Just, we get there, decide who's working who, a face would work heel, heel would work face, our practice shows. Um, but we'd have this guy that had started with us that was being kind of a jackass over and over and over again. He was pulling this whole TV star deal. And we didn't usually have that. And that was uh, Mike Mazanin, The Miz. And oh, I, I, don't know, I don't know who was there that night, if you guys remember this, but we suck. Uh, we we, <laughs> we um, sicked. Sylvester on him and um, <laughs> Sylvester lit him up like nobody's business. Oh my God. And then um, after I'll never forget uh, Miz goes, I get it. I understand. And yeah, some people, do. Some people yeah, get it. And then, and then you look where he went from there. You know, it's crazy. He ended up doing a shoot match with Daniel Pewter that we trained yeah. him 
we trained him for like three weeks and he went out and held his own. So yeah. <laughs> figure, you know, pretty crazy. He's been things turn around. He's been forced to do that another fifty times in his career, by the way. That was the first <laughs> yeah. fifty more times. When I was backstage at WWE <laughs> many years ago, he was still getting that same treatment. So that guy well, earned I, I everything. I wanted to, to kill him. Every, everyone wanted to kill him. Well, but that's a very interesting point because even even in 2000 when he was on the real world, the way he presented himself, you wanted to just fucking hit him because he, <laughs> you know, it was just like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, you know, but the truth be told, he went to the right place to start learning how to actually do it and fuck, <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, if you look at his career, if you look at his wife, if you look at his kid, you're just like, okay, he did pretty good for himself, but he took the time and had the right people put him in the right place. And I think that is why, you know, what you guys did for him was invaluable um, because nowadays, yeah, you know, someone throws uh, money in front of a, a YouTube star and they'll go into the ring and they'll look like shit. But, you know, people think that that's what draws now. And it's like, that's not wrestling. That's not fighting. It's it's bullshit. It's just quick, quick money. Um, Rick, I'm glad you said, too, about the opportunities that were given, um, because, um, you know, without stuff, you know, that you were getting guys out on. We wouldn't have uh, great quality programming like uh, what was that Manhunter that uh, John Cena did? Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah, that was that was just a it was, that was a wannabe reality show. When reality, but man, Tom, I'm really maybe not you. I'm really starting to feel old here because like we were at the beginning of so many things. It's crazy, and um, you know, reality TV was a brand new thing then. They were casting this show called Manhunt. Um, yeah. I I used to get what's called the breakdowns. Something right. you pay like 600 bucks a year for to see all the parts that are casting. And right. then we would have all our photos and we would submit, it's called, to the casting director trying to get guys onto TV shows, movies, and all that. And I, I saw the breakdown for Manhunt. And I right away got the lead female cast. That was Ray Hollett, who was Zap on the American Gladiators. Yes. And... I thought John fit the bill. I really did. And I'll never forget the, I got, I, I, Tom, I think will agree with this. I rarely say I, everything to me is a team sport. It's we, and it's us and our, it's our, yes, but it's, I got John, I got John $40,000 for this thing. And the guy didn't have four cents to rub together at the time. And that's God's honest truth. And, uh, Very true. it, it, and that's just, uh, yeah. So that, that's a pretty, it's interesting. You brought that example up of, uh, of the thousands. Wait, who's the, who's they got that. Evan, the Joe Millionaire thing? No, I had nothing to do with that. No, no. But um, Evan Evan did that on his own. Tom knows that story better than I do, for sure. Yeah. But uh, no, I had nothing. Can't take any credit for that at all. Yeah, and if, I, if anyone doesn't know, Evan Marriott was Joe Millionaire, which was a faux pas, false uh, reality show that... Uh... <laughs> and Evan was a nice dude. Evan is, I, I wrote a little segment in my book called, it's a little insert called The Five That Got Away. And those were five guys, in my opinion, that had they stuck, because Evan trained with us for a while. Yep. And he actually had two matches. 
And I remember who they were. One was Alcatraz, the other was Spanky. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. And that guy, in my opinion, first of all, he had the look. He had the physique. But he, he grew up a huge fan. I mean, he was a, probably a bigger fan than I was growing up. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, this guy, in my opinion, would have been a monster star in pro wrestling had he decided to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. He would sit at home uh, watching old school wrestling, like, for his free time. And uh, but the problem is, once you got him in the ring and trained him, this is a very interesting element because he never. He, once he got in the ring and tried it, he said, "I can't do this." He freaked out. He he actually freaked out and said, "I can't do it again." Like here's a guy who became one of Fox's, I think, the top uh, whatever top rated star for that Joe Millionaire show, and he freaked out and couldn't do a wrestling show in front of forty people. Yeah, Tom, you know, Tom, I get that he had the mentality issue, but I thought what he did do, the little he did do looked awfully good oh that's yeah the- yeah but he wouldn't do it again that's the reason he stopped right, right. yeah yeah not everybody can do it Go ahead. Not for everybody yeah yeah it's oh. not for many people so as we as we kind of get wrapping up here um let me ask you each is there a um either a story or a match or a situation that sticks out in your mind as one of your favorites from back then and uh Anyone want to jump in? You can uh, start. I can tell you my favorite UPW match ever, and this is um, this is pretty odd. But um, we had this guy come through our come through our doors once. I was at uh, our LA location. We had two locations for the school, and you had to work hard to find this place. It was down in Alley in El Segundo, yep. and this like really nice Mercedes drives up, which was weird. First of all, because we didn't get cars like that there. And there's like this conservative looking lady behind the wheel. And I'm like, what's this? And then the passenger door opens. Well, the kid that was in the passenger seat was so short, he couldn't even see him over the dashboard. And he little mate. He grew ultimately to about a whopping five foot six and 140 pounds, maybe. But um he came through the doors. I'm like, I don't I told his mother, I don't want to sign this kid up for school. He's too young, he's gonna get hurt. You know, it wasn't just about getting getting students money we wanted people to be safe also and he like begged and pleaded and this he was meek he had short hair anyway years later he grew a few inches not much but on a few pounds not much this giant afro and was in my opinion one of our best workers i really thought he was good but he was never going to make it we actually got him dark matches we pushed hard for this kid um and he was pants. yeah he got over there so we did a show when Frankie had gotten signed to WWF, because that's what it was at the time. Um, we'd always do a big send-off for the guys who were on their way out. Well, Frankie was our lightweight champion at that point, and Nate was like Frankie's protege in some ways. Uh, Tom trained him, but Nate and Frankie were particularly close for whatever reason. And I think you were in Japan a lot probably, Tom, at yeah. that time as well. So anyway um, – it was Frankie defending the lightweight title. Frankie had the title forever against Nate as a challenger. Booked for eight minutes. Frankie over, standard deal. So we called his mom and said, you got to come to this show. You have to be there. And we swerved, um, we swerved the finish. And me and Frankie and Marty, the referee, knew about it, but nobody else. And on the roll-up at the end, um, Frankie held his own shoulder down, lifted Nate's shoulder. So we switched the title on the spot to Nate without him even knowing he was getting the title. And that was probably my favorite UKW moment ever. That's awesome. I got one real quick. 
So you guys are, it's about Shane. Remember Makoa? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we did a tag match in Laughlin. You, you oh, was that what I talked about with the drop toehold? I don't know. But this was when Shane was really green. And he looked like a million bucks. You remember that? But he was still really green. So we were yeah. booked in a, in a, like a no holds barred or a no DQ match with Nykirk and Knox at Laughlin. And we got told to, to keep Shane looking strong and I was taking all the major shit. And so we decided to rib Shane since he wasn't taking any of the big moves. And we snuck in ketchup packets. And the whole day we kept ribbing him that he was going to give color that day. Even though everybody said, no, he wasn't doing anything. We kept telling him, no, you're going to give color. We don't care what they say. And I'm getting the living shit beat out of me in there. Like so bad to the point to where I remember the Vegas commission was there. And they tried to take me to the hospital afterwards because I took such an ass whooping. Um, but at one point in time, he comes sliding in and they grab him and they throw him against the, the turnbuckle and they're beating the hell out of him. And Knox is holding him, and Nykirk opens up the ketchup packet, and Knox just smokes him in the head, and Nykirk squirts ketchup all over his head, and Makoa freaks out because he thinks he's bleeding, and he's looking at his hands, and he's getting the shit kicked out of him, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he goes, why do I smell like McDonald's? <laughs> That's great. Oh, <laughs> I, I did not know that one. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, he freaked out because he thought it was blood. And then halfway through it, I think he's looking at it, and he's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. He goes, da 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 I'm loving it. <laughs> Steve, do you remember the worst UPW match ever? Do you know what I'm referring to? <laughs> was it when, uh, when I, I helped you get color? No, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, but no, here's the thing. I definitely had, up until this point I'm talking about, I had the worst UPW match ever. Tom was my corner man against Funky Billy Kim at a high school, and it was just abysmal. Not because of oh, Funky, wow. because, because of me. I really <laughs> – it was bad. No, at Laughlin, you and I were backstage, and we don't need to name names, yes. but there was a match uh, amongst the fairer gender. And yes. you remember by the end of that match, you and I were, like, almost quite literally rolling, um, rolling around on the floor <laughs> – out of control laughter. We just lost yes. it completely. It was, it, was, was, it was so bad that we just couldn't stop laughing. And it was, yeah, it was one of those yeah. things that it wouldn't end. Like, why, why well, is this match ending? Match? <laughs> no, no, this time it wasn't. <laughs> and I was happy about it because that put me as the second worst match ever. <laughs> it, moved, it moved you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those Laughlin shows were a lot of fun. There's actually quite a few stories from those Laughlin trips. <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants to know the reason why I dislike Gallo so much, why don't you tell that Laughlin story, Gallo? Which why don't you one? tell the reason why I got, Which... tr I got in trouble you didn't? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Too many stories. Unless we... There was a time that we switched out. Actually, this one, I don't know if Miz got this or not, but we, it was supposed to be me. They tried ribbing me, and they filled up my, my shower head with black uh, dye, but I switched room with Miz that night. Backfired. I will tell you guys, this is the greatest match in UPW history, the greatest finish ever. 
Has anyone heard this? It, it, I mean, no finish will ever top this finish in UPW history. The match was with Stas, the Russian nightmare, and he had uh, his Russian manager there who did not speak a lick of English. And he was oh, yeah. going up against Josh Dempsey. <laughs> Punch drunk. So let me tell you the finish of the match, how it was supposed to go, and then how it went. Okay, so the match, how it was supposed to go, was that uh, um, uh, the Stas' manager was going to, the referee goes down, um, and then uh, uh, Josh Dempsey is, is back to the ropes. The manager hits him in the back with the, uh, the, the Russian flag. He falls down, Stas pins him over, right? Pretty simple finish. So match is going, Marty goes down, and you've got Stas' manager, I think his name was Rasputin, right. and he was but he did not speak a lick of English. Had the beard. I mean, a little, he looked he looked just like a Russian. Yeah, because he was. So <laughs> he goes to hit Josh Dempsey with the the flag, and it bounces off the ropes and goes flying like in into the crowd. He doesn't know what to do. The referee's down. Josh Dempsey still got his back to the rope, going whoop whoop. <laughs> so um, Marty sees what's going on because. Uh, Rasputin just left. He didn't know what to do, so he just left. So Marty gets up and pats, um, uh, and and uh, um, Dempsey didn't see him get up. So Marty the ref gets up and pats Dempsey on the back, like just they changed the finish. He thought that was the flag. He went ah, and he fell down. And then Stas <laughs> picked him. Does anybody remember that? It was the greatest awesome. Ugh. Greatest. Ugh. And I remember Rick. You just had just about had a heart attack. <laughs> well, you know what? I I, it, I deserved it for, for for allowing Dempsey versus Stas in the first place. We deserved whatever we got. That's all right. <laughs> greatest guys, two of the greatest guys ever. But that does not sound like a dream match, right there. <laughs> I'll I'll throw mine in real quick. Uh, and mine's mine's going to sound cheesy, but it, it's genuine. So I was coming, I was wrestling in Japan and I'd get home and I was always like beaten up from a long trip and I had to like defend the championship. And, you know, I, I hate to be honest, but back in the day, I was lazy AF. I, I would just be like, God damn, I don't want to do it over these matches. Uh, and I was supposed to pass the belt to John Cena. And uh, I barely had the energy or interest in talking over the match. And so because I was John's teacher at the time, I said, Hey, I'm gonna. I'd like you just to call the match when we get out there. Literally, start to finish. And he's like, he's got to get all nervous. He's like, what? I go, yeah, start to finish. I go, we, we don't talk about shit. So he thought it was like a big test. Little did he know it was just me being lazy. I told him this later. <laughs> he went out there and literally talked to me step by step, move by move. I just put it up on his shoulder. All right, and then as he pins me, thank you, sir. And I thought to myself, okay, that guy's going to be a big star. And that's not a that's not a kiss John's ass. That's a when I figured out what the next level is. I wasn't there. I don't know that I'll ever get there. I may get there. I, I've like a little. I have a lot more crazy in me. But as far as just the ability to go out and engineer and talk through a match, I was very fascinating. I I had him do that. I had Chris Daniels do that with me. And I had uh, uh, what's the guy who's now on WWE? He's like the manager on Raw. 
Oh, uh, MVP? Adam. Adam or, oh, Adam Paris. Yeah. Adam Paris. Three guys who did the same thing. And I was just like, you know, I always thought, oh, you know, I'm decent, but I'm not great. But these guys, like, they, when you get in there and let someone call it, and they thought because I was like trying to be like the teacher who was just like, hey, I'd like you to call it. I'm not going to test you. The reality is I wasn't testing him. I was just like being lazy. But um, I was able to have three different guys like really do a great job of calling a match. And it was like, wow, when you have someone that's that good at it and do a great job, it's like, wow, it's pretty spectacular. So I don't know. It's a learning experience for me. No, it's, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I've always found <clears throat> when I'm watching people work and the first time I saw Zoe Stark work, yeah, you know, yeah. my head started going. I'm like, why does this seem so familiar? Because the way you laid out matches for us, the way that you taught us, is I think one of the most, you know, universal ways, the best way to lay out a match, the best way to get comfortable with being able to call a match as well. And you can see the style that you implemented in your students has really kind of evolved into, and, and what you sh Shannon said too about, you know, your tag team style, there's so much now that is based on that foundation, what you guys were doing, back in the early 2000s that I think that sometimes that credit gets overlooked and not that anyone is seeking the credit. That's the other thing that I have to say throughout the years, you don't see UPW guys just saying, Oh yeah, well, you know, I, I taught this person that, or these people do this because of me or, you know, it's, it's genuine, you know, the love of the business was there for every single person who you know walk through those doors because of the atmosphere that was created and i think that's very important that i love that you're so humble about the fact that these guys were able to call a match <laughs> with you and you know you're, you're going ah you know i was just kind of being lazy but the the idea is is that your teaching was so good for you know us as students that was able to translate, man. And I think that there is nothing more, you know, um, honest than when you see how far guys have gotten and how influenced the business has been because of, you know, the foundation, as I look at it, as we're, you know, looking at you guys. Um, and it's you're being too kind. You're being too kind. And by the way, you look great. I, I'm very happy to see that you're, you look, you look like uh, you've always been working out. I'm very happy to see that. Thank you hey, very much. I, I, I got to say, I got to say, I, I, pre, I appreciate all this, uh, these kinds of words as well. Um, I, I reached out to Steve a few months ago and um, the, um, the training that Steve's been doing for the strongman competitions, yeah. it's, it's made me step up my game, man. Um, yeah, because Well, man, iron sharpens iron. That's how we all help each other. Exactly, exactly. And, and the other picture that you just posted with uh, with Zoe uh, the other day where you guys are in the gym, and I, I couldn't see past the traps in that shot because <laughs> it was like looking at the mountains. It was amazing. <laughs> but it, but you know, and that's and that's the sincerity um, that I have for for every single one of you guys is that without you guys knowing, without you guys, you know, having someone like me uh, say to you guys that I appreciate everything that you guys have ever done for me 
without you guys even know that you did anything for me. And I think that's the key there. And I'm sure that there are so many other people out there who came through the doors who, you know, have gone on to follow you guys to see where you guys have gone and, and how your lives and careers have uh, panned out. And it's these simple things that, like you said, iron sharpens iron. It's the motivating things. Um, Rick, I mean, everything that you've been through in your life and, you know, whether it be a proud, you know, dog, your rescuer with your babies, man, which really just melts my heart. Anytime that, you know, I see a, an adorable picture or then the sadness, you know, that goes along with the loss of, of you know, the animals that have been so close to you. It's, it's amazing what you've been able to do um, in, in rescuing them. Um, and, and what you've been doing for uh, with your podcast and with cancer survivors. I mean, all this stuff is just very inspiring and, you know, it, it really makes me very happy to see that, you know, everyone is still giving um, to this world. You know, it's not just the business, but to this world. Um, Gallo, you know, everything that you guys have done, you know, Hammerstone and Graves and and some of those guys coming out of Arizona are some of the best fucking wrestlers in, on the planet right now. And it's amazing to see the work that that you've done. And, and how can we say, Steve, not only are you a strong man, but you've got your wife by your side doing it, which is amazing to see. And if it wasn't for you, some of our favorite wrestlers wouldn't be in our favorite video game, you know? <laughs> so, and then Shannon, man, you know, I never really knew you very close. I really didn't really know Shane very close. Um, but, <laughs> but one of the things that always struck me is you guys were always, um, you were always there if we had questions or, you know, um, one of my favorite memories um, was the, uh, the documentary was filming the one that, uh, I forgot what, it, what it's called. Um, but it was the one that followed, you know, like Heidenreich and, uh, Cena and some of the other guys through the stages. And it was the night that, um, Shannon, you and Shane were at the school. It was our class. Cause Nathan and, uh, Heidenreich were in that class. They were getting ready to film. You guys were going to be working a match with them. And there's no Heidenreich. And there's no Heidenreich. And it's like, where the fuck is John? And the, the camera crew's getting itchy and everyone's just kind of going, what the fuck is going on? We can't start our class until this is filmed. And that was when John Heidenreich had his car accident. And he came in and he was just, you've never seen this big man look so confused, flabbergasted, frustrated, and you guys, you know, everything was calmed down. You guys went in there and you worked through with them like professionals. And you could see that everything just became easy again for him. And I think that's what you guys have always provided. A lot of my friends like um, Phil Lander is a good friend of mine. You guys are always coming up in conversations uh, in a lot of the, the interviews that I've done. The Ballard brothers constantly keep coming up. And that's because, and, and I think this goes for all you guys as well, is that there is so much respect and admiration for you guys and so much intertwining over the years that there's so much that I can express 
because there's so much you mean to everyone who's been in this business, whether it be for five minutes or whether it be for 50 years. And I think that's very important to, you know, just put that out there because I think that, you know, people really should just kind of look at the history and, um, you know, just for a second, appreciate the fact that everything moves fast nowadays, but just like a good wrestler, sometimes you just have to slow everything down to understand what it means. And then you can appreciate everything and then things start making sense to you. And I think you guys brought that, um, you know, to our lives and, um, I, I really appreciate it. Um, really quick, I'm going to ask you guys if you can each just kind of, um, plug, you know, social media sites where, you know, guys can, uh, find you guys, pay attention to you guys and know what's going on in, in your lives. And we'll start with Gallo. Uh, you, you can get me on my Instagram usually, which is at King of No Rules, or yeah, I'm always on. You actually just go to at Train and AZ because that's the main one I'm always on with the training school. So that's where you'll find any any information you need, just contact at Train and AZ. Perfect. Navajo. Uh, mine's, I'm mostly on, on Instagram, which connects to the Facebook. So it's Navajo Warrior, the number two, letter K. Navajo Warrior 2K on Instagram, and then uh, doing stuff with uh, IZW Wrestling as well. So if you just go to IZW Wrestling on on any platform, and you'll find us there as well. Uh, Shannon, um, you can check me out on my MySpace page, or I'll be in the <laughs> chat room. You know, pretty much between the hours of four and seven. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Shannon, don't, don't, don't you have a grinder profile like, uh, also? <laughs> Shannon, aren't you on grinder also? I, I don't even know. I don't know what grinder is. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just, so far behind the time. Us, I, Shannon, that's all right. No problem. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I was talking with Steve on uh, Navajo about, like, I, I've lost a little passion for it. My brother's pretty much retired, um, and uh, whether I want to do it or not, I, right now I'm spending time between here and Hawaii. Um, so I'm uh, like, uh, I, I'm trying to find that passion again to, to do, continue doing this and, uh, you know, to keep going. And Steve gave me some good uh, advice. So, you know, hopefully I've got a couple of shows booked for this year. So hopefully I can find that, that love for wrestling again, because it, it is, um, it has kind of eluded me after yeah. the pandemic and all that. And Tom, I I don't think I have much in the social media realm. I'm not really. I have a little Facebook thing for friends and family, and Instagram for friends and family. But I'm not really trying to get uh, uh, people to contact me. If any women out there believe I may be the father to their child, I'd like to rec recommend they reach out to Rick Bassman. Has <laughs> <laughs> me for years. I uh, know. Besides that, though, it's all good. You know, just uh, Google me. You can probably figure it out. Uh, who knows? I'm not that interested in talking to a whole lot of people. Oh, but but let me let me just say, if uh, anyone out there doesn't uh, know of Zoe Stark in NXT, please follow her and uh, see how her career is going and where it's taking off to, because that is a new journey that uh, Tom's experiencing uh, with uh, someone very close in his life getting a chance to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife is a wrestler. We started training her at 18, and she's now 27, and finally made it to uh, 
NXT and just became the tag team champion of Zoe Stark. So I'm very proud of her. Um, and yes, so I'm like no longer looking to have any sort of uh, uh, you know, interest in myself, but shifts the light to her, I guess, if there's such a thing. And Rick, what, uh, what are you up to and how can people find you? Well, like Tom, I am a forsaking society. I live in a Zen Buddhist monastery now. And um, you, I, don't, I've, I haven't been on for a few months. I started a job and decided to give 15 hours a day to it for my first three months. So that's up August 3rd. I still have the job. Thank God I actually got promoted. But August 3rd, I start my podcast again. I've got a really good slate of guest book. So everything lives on talking-tough.com. And uh, all my social and whatnot is, is, is linked to that. And um, the, the one thing I'd say in the meantime, anybody has a, a mind for the nonprofit world or wants to do something good, check out my good friend and partner, Linda Blair's page for Linda Blair World Heart Foundation. And that's lbworldheart.org. And uh, the doggies, uh, our doggies there need help. So go there. Wonderful. Thank you guys uh, for participating. Um, you know, again, it means very much uh, to me. Um, and, um, you know, I just hope that people listening can, um, you know, realize that when people get involved in wrestling, it, it takes all different sorts. It takes all different personalities. And if this group could get together and make things run and have fun and a good time, Man, anyone can get together and have a good time and have fun and do something you're passionate about. And it just goes to show that, you know, it's not just about what you do in the ring, but it's about the personality and who you are as a person. And uh, I couldn't be joined by, you know, five of the the greater people here that, that you know, I've ever, uh, I've ever, ever met. So um, appreciate oh, boy, everything. Boy, don't include Gallo in this. Yeah, I was just going to say, you must be including yourself because you can't include him. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to say, Matt, thank you. It was really nice to see everybody. Tom, we haven't yeah. talked for a while. It's good to see you here, man. Yeah. And, um, and UPW would not have happened the way it did without all of you guys. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure. And Matt, thanks for putting it together. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Everyone for uh, tuning in. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next time. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting.